Jeff Fuller back with you. You are listening to Jay Fuller Interviews. Jay Fuller Interviews on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you subscribe there. Join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews. Now also on uh, Google Podcasts and iTunes as the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. I certainly love interviews and people's stories because it makes our story much better, less ignorant, and more impactful. One with a tremendous story is the one, the only, Bob Ryan. Bob, how are you? Oh, doing very well today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for making the time. It's certainly an honor for me. Uh, I was on radio, I don't know, several years ago, and you graciously joined me on that radio program but I was so impressed that after the fact, you sent me a message that you were thankful that you could fit it into your schedule to make time on that small radio show in Vermont. Why is that important for you to carve out that time? Because it means so much to so many people. I've been on the other side of things where people didn't know who I was and I was hoping to get a few minutes of their time. I mean, I'm, you know, I started out uh, from scratch uh, as and and so I know what it feels like to get that letter of uh, back from the celebrity or or the interview possibility or all. No, no, I never tried to remember what it's like to be, uh, you know, on the other side. I've been very fortunate with the life I've led, with the things that have happened, with the experiences I've had, um, and and I'm very grateful for that. So, but uh, I, I just want to always keep in touch with you know reality, <laughs> if you will. And then after 44 years of writing, it says that you have retired, but you are very active now. When you look at these pictures throughout the years, can you believe where your journey's taken you? Of course not, because when you're 18 years old and you're uh, you're in college and uh, you're you don't have a plan. Your only plan: a) graduate, b) hope you find a job, and then see what happens. I I wanted to be a writer, but I had no guarantee uh, that mm. it would materialize, or or how, uh, or, or that I would uh, certainly that I would wind up with a big entity such as the Boston Globe. Um, I, I didn't have a plan. Uh, I was ready to go anywhere. I was ready to do whatever it would take. It turns out I didn't have to go anywhere because of an incredible fortunate circumstance. I was able to be uh, 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 set up for an interview at the Boston Globe for a summer internship. I got that internship. And at the conclusion of the internship, they were willing to keep me around. And and I stayed. Now, that is not a normal career progression in, in writing, whether it's and it has nothing to do with sports writing. Not, you could parade in the next 10,000 uh, newspaper people, and I doubt that more than one or two would be would have had only worked at one entity. I am mm. not one. I only worked at one new journalistic entity uh, in print. Now is the Boston Globe. I did work for a year and a half in in local television, but at that same time, I was writing a column a week for the Globe. So I never fully left uh, the writing world. But uh, and after a year, and I, I realized I needed to get back to the writing world, which I did. But uh, nobody works 44 years for one paper and one paper only, uh, but I did. Now, Bob, if we could back up a little bit, uh, being from New Jersey, why did you choose Boston College? Well, that's a convoluted story. Uh, it had to do with I got into, applied for five schools, to five schools, was rejected at Yale and Williams, got into BC Holy Cross in Georgetown. And here's the true story. Uh, I did not originally get into, I got, I got into BC Holy Cross, but I didn't get into Georgetown that day. Of the, that the uh, that came out, and the school college placement director at Lawrenceville School, where I went in New Jersey, was mystified. He thought I should have gotten into Georgetown, and mm -hmm. he, uh, he he actually called them on my behalf and and said, 
he's my best candidate. I don't understand. And he basically talked him into rescinding the rescinding the rejection. And he told me, you know, uh, and I went home and slept on it. And the next day, uh, I said, damn it. Um, that, 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 no, I'm not going there. I'm going to Boston. And that was it. Now, I mean, that's kind of a crazy judgment was that. And my, my mother was okay with it, whatever I wanted to do. Uh, and so I really, I really did it on that basis. If Georgetown had accepted me as they should have, uh, I would have gone to Georgetown. Now, let me say this uh, in passing. I, I say two things about people of my generation as a rule. One, you could never repurchase your own house. Hmm. And two, you could not get back into the same school that you went to. Now, I know for a fact that those are both true in my case. Uh, Bob, were you a Boston sports fan as a youth? No, I, I, they, I was indifferent. Uh, they were, I was totally neutral. I wasn't anti. I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey, which is 40 miles southwest of Philadelphia, northeast of Philadelphia and 60 miles southwest of New York. And you have a choice about loyalties. And basically the choices I made with one exception was Philadelphia. Uh, my father actually worked at Villanova when I was young for two years, and that helped a lot to influence it. But the one team I rooted for that wasn't from Philadelphia was the New York baseball Giants. And, and even when they left in 57 to go to the West Coast, to San Francisco, I stayed as a, a, a devoted follower of the Giants. But uh, so, no, I, Boston was just another city to me in, in that sense. I was aware of the Celtics. Who wasn't? And I was a basketball fan and a basketball player. So I naturally, I was quite well aware of the Celtics, but I didn't root for them. In fact, I act markedly rooted against them. And the only first time I ever rooted for them was the 1969 finals, the famous uh, finals against L.A. and the seventh game against L.A. in the forum, the balloon game, as we call it. Uh, and that's the first time I ever rooted for them. Until that point, I always rooted against them. So, Bob, you said you played basketball when you were a child. Did you play other sports or was it just basketball? It was just uh, growing up. It was a normal childhood of the 50s in the neighborhood. And there were nothing but kids. And we played we played seasonally touch football, basketball. We had a backboard out and behind our, our houses that we could use and uh, all kinds of different baseball games. One on one against garages, three on three, four on four. And if we had enough people, we could get out to the hardball diamond it was two blocks away and play hardball tackle football on that field. And uh, when we got a chance to get enough people to make that worth our while uh, and all the other kid games and played everything. Uh, I was a good little league baseball player all-star baseball player. But when the time came at age 13 to go to the Babe Ruth League, uh, I couldn't make that transition. I was slow and I didn't have a good arm. The, the, I did not make the transition to the 90-foot diamond very well, at all. And so that was pretty much the end of my baseball career. But basketball, I continued to play and I did play uh, both at prep school and then later on pick up basketball into my 40s. Something I've really learned is that as we respect people, trust is built, and then we get to build that network of friends more than just people we can use to move our career forward. Uh, I just love how you are on the uh, sports reporters with Mitch Album and Mike Lupica. Can you just talk about the friendships you've been able to make over the years? Well, Mike and I go back to 1971. I was covering the Celtics. In fact, I can even tell you the date. It was October 25th. It was a Monday. And the Celtics were playing an afternoon game because it was supposed to be Columbus uh, Day, believe it or not. And I think it was the 25th. It was in that period. And after the game, I was downstairs at the bar where we all congregated afterward. And this kid came up to me and introduced himself uh, from B.C., a freshman. It was Mike Lupica. 
Hmm. And so we stuck, we, I, I, we kept in touch a little bit as he migrated, you know, migrated as he progressed through Boston College. And then when he graduated in 1974, his first job was working uh, freelancing for different things. And he worked around Boston and, and, and uh, I, I was in touch with him. Then when he got a job with the New York Post in uh, 75 covering the Knicks, uh, we wound up during the playoffs of 76 traveling extensively together and we became good friends. And and uh, that, so I've known him that long. And Mitch, in the course of time, you, our paths would cross uh, uh, do it in our travels. He, he with the Detroit Free Press. I'm not sure if I ever met him when he was in his prior incarnation in Fort Lauderdale. I don't think I did. But I know I met him in Detroit. And then uh, 1989, I became a part of a TV show called The Sports Reporters. Mike was already on it. And Mitch came a year or so later. Uh, and we, we, we worked together countless Sundays right up to the last show on May 7th, 2017. Obviously, we have great professional respect for each other. And I look up to both of those guys for their uh, ability to create fiction. They're both uh, they're both terrific authors. And uh, of course, Mitch is one of the highest selling authors in English speaking language. You know, that's the truth. And Mike is a, uh, has a great, great uh, career as a writer of children's books primarily, although he's also now inherited the mantle of Robert B. Parker, of all things. So the both of them are creative, are, are novelists. I'm not. I don't have a, a gift for fiction. But um, I've written my share of books, 14 books, but, but they're all nonfiction. But uh, I envy those two guys for that ability. But we've been all good friends for all these years. So one book I was told to read early on, this is right when I got married, my wife's uh, mom passed away the summer we got married, was Tuesdays with Maury. Even now, does Maury's life or how does Maury's life impact that of uh, being with Mitch? Um, well, that changed for him, his life. And there's a story behind it is that uh, Mitch did that book in order to raise money. He was The profits were all going to go to, to Maury's uh, uh, soon-to-be widow. You know, Maury had ALS. He was he was terminal. And this was the whole point of this thing. Maury was imparting his life's wisdom to his student, uh, who was a gifted writer, uh, so he could pass it along, so people could benefit from from Maury's wisdom and experience. And the money was going to go to his widow. No one foresaw it become a number one bestseller, an international sensation, and 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 changed and transformed Mitch's life completely, uh, and and become you know help make Mitch. Mitch, a rich man. Of course, he's parlayed that with subsequent um, uh, works. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't Mitch's intention for him to make money. His intention was for the widow to make money. But that's yeah. highly typical of Mitch. Uh, Mitch is such an altruistic person. It makes me embarrassed to think that, uh, you know, I'm living my life. Uh, he's he he's runs an orphanage in Haiti. He's on his way back there today as we speak for yet another trip. Uh, he, he's got other charitable uh, works. Uh, Mitch, is, uh, Mitch has a 30, needs a 36 hour day. He still does a full-time radio show in Detroit. He still wow. does full-time uh, column for the Detroit Free Press. He does speak, well, no, none of us speak right now. There's no speaking to do, but if they were out there, he'd be doing it. And, and he's in, his energy is, from, is boundless and, and he's an amazing person. So Bob, for you, did you ever want to leave Boston? No. Uh, it was a perfect place for me. In fact, there were only two opportunities that ever came along the way. Uh, actually, three. At the end of my first year covering the Celtics, at the end of the 1969-70 season, uh, I was approached by the Baltimore uh, Evening Sun, uh, the editor, uh, Bill Tanton, uh, to interview for a possibility. But why would I want to go to Baltimore and leave the Celtics to go to cover the Bullets? I mean, serious. No, and the Bullets were fun, by the way, but still, that didn't make any sense. And my wife's from this area, and we were married uh, at that point already and had a child. And and it, 
I would have needed a really good reason. And that was a sideways move at best. And it wasn't a, there's no reason to do it. Uh, and then there was a, a couple of years later, uh, a, a brief discussion at Sports Illustrated, but it would have been a lower entry level position and uh, it wouldn't have been made a lot of sense. But I will say when I was 18, 19, 20, that was my life's ambition hmm. to work for Sports Illustrated. That was what I wanted to do. And uh, but then I uh, by the time that opportunity came, I was doing OK at the Globe. I had this niche and uh, it didn't make sense for me to make that move. And then as time went on, what I learned was that it's not a good place to work for, except for many people. Uh, it's a writer's it's not a writer's magazine. It's an editor's magazine. They butcher your copy. They 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 they, they you live know, and people all I ever heard were complaints from my friends for the most part. At SI, and I made many friends there. So uh, it, uh, I'm glad I I was able to be spared that agony. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about the maturity I can learn from your experiences. Uh, when somebody well edits what you write, um, what's the appropriate place to be an advocate for yourself, but also know that they have a job to do as well? Oh, I understand they have a job to do, but I'm I'm grateful that I went to a paper that the guiding spirit was that we trust the writer. That mm -hmm. we were given the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm certain that there were many other places where the writer was not given the benefit of the doubt, um, uh, in a sense. Uh, and maybe the desk is infiltrated with frustrated writers. Uh, uh, and but, but I never had that problem. I I used to hear these complaints from friends countless times over the years. Oh, you know, I I, I, I they butchered my copy. Uh, yeah, I was edited at times. And, and mostly the, I was grateful because the things that they did for me were saving me for myself. Hmm. And, and that's a, that's something that that all writers should be grateful for. That's a, to me, that's a that's number one function um, yeah. is to save you from yourself. And and, and I, I had that happen to me on, 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 on numerous occasions. And I'm very grateful for that. But um, the Globe, when I went there, the editor's name was Tom Winship. I mean, the editor, not necessarily the sports editor, the, the editor. And I had excellent sports editors. But Tom Winship was one of the great editors of the 20th century. And Tom Winship loved writers and respected writing and wanted a writer's paper. And so, and he liked our, he, was, he took a particular interest in an intern class of 1968 at the Boston Globe. And, and me, uh, I won't say in particular, but uh, among the, the, the chosen few, and he always was on my side. And and so he was. This was the spirit of the paper: was writing. Let the writer write. We're hiring a writer. You know, if you wanted the AP, we'd put the AP story in. No offense to the AP, but you know, why are we sending this guy out if I don't want his point of view? And and they allowed me to have a point of view. That's different than a bias. That's oh, don't get me started on objectivity and subjectivity. What a canard! It's about point of view and and fairness. That's it. Fairness. Are you fair? And it's you so could good. be wrong. You could, and, and then admit when you're wrong. No, no shame in that. And again, this is Bob Ryan making some time on Twitter. It's at Globe Bob Ryan. I'm not sure if it was you, but somebody said that Paul Pierce was the most explosive score the Boston Celtics have ever had. Uh, Larry Bird being the best score the Boston Celtics have ever had. What are your thoughts on Paul Pierce's legacy, in particular? He's reluctant to give LeBron James some credit that might be due, but being a Boston guy. Do you kind of like that? In all immodesty, I'm the guy that identified I, that that in 2002, after a, a particularly uh, uh, clever performance in which he willed himself to the free throw line countless times, because he has a 50s he had a 50s throwback game on top of a 20 20s game. I took a lot of heat for that, 
when I said he was the greatest individual offensive force the Celtics have ever had. He had more ways of getting the ball in the basket than any of the great Celtic scorers. Uh, that includes uh, Havlicek and Bird. And and I mean that. He, he, had, he, he could get his own shot in a way that sometimes Larry couldn't and John didn't. He, he, he was a, uh, a terrific finisher on the break. He could really go to the basket. Don't foul him. He's making his free throws. And he was a three-point shooter on top of that. And he could get his own shot, and he was a clutch shooter. And, and quite frankly, he was the most consummate individual offensive player. Was he a good a passer or a good a player as Larry Bird? No, but he was, his, he was a better explosive scorer. That's true. Oh, boy, did I take heat for that. Well, okay, and I'll stick to that. Not, nobody's come along to, dis, to remove him from that honor. Now, he's, you know, he's willing to put himself out there. You know, he declared the, the, yep. the Celtics uh, series over two years ago when they won the first game against the Bucks and they got swept afterward. Uh, he makes these rash pronouncements. I can't support any theory uh, that, that remotely denigrates LeBron James. So yep. I'm, I'm going to just line up in the opposition, the loyal opposition to Paul. Respect Paul and, uh, and respect his judgment uh, to a point. But no, I, I'm sorry. He's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm probably the worst talent evaluator I've ever come across because I liked uh, Kentucky um, college basketball and I thought Antoine Walker was going to be a very good NBA player or even better than Paul Pierce. Why do you think he was not the player he could have been? Uh, that's a great. I'm so I love talking about Antoine, the most polarizing player in Celtic history, without question. Uh, line up from mostly generational. Younger people loved him, loved the shimmy, loved all that. <laughs> Uh, we older folks we, he, he had us going like this, you know, and, and you're always, there, there was a good Antoine and a bad Antoine. I wrote those columns, you know? Okay. And we have a phrase we often use in sports that so-and-so sum uh, exceeds the whole of his parts. Yeah, and that's yeah. a compliment to someone who due to uh, game savvy, uh, 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 you know, uh, integrity will, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and they make it work. Well, he was the bipolar opposite. Antoine Walker was the, is the quintessence of a player whose hole does not equal the sum of its technical parts. Dri he could dribble, he could score, he could pass, uh, and, and he never knew how to put it all together properly. Uh, he was the master of dribbling into four guys and, and turning the ball over at an inopportune moment. He was the master of the inopportune three. He was the master of the let's make a fancy pass we don't need when we don't need it uh, and, and, and throw the ball away in the last minute of the game. If, if there was a, a way to mess things up after you would set things in motion in the right way, he would find out how to do it. And that's my take on Antoine Walker. And now what's your take on Isaiah Thomas, who was phenomenal for the Celtics, but I actually like that trade for Kyrie did not turn out well. But uh, can you just talk to what Isaiah Thomas meant to the Celtics? That year? I wonder what would have happened if he didn't hurt the hip. Uh, mm -hmm. I wonder what would have happened. Uh, they, were, they wouldn't have been so inclined to let him go because uh, they, he played – they can't ever treat, uh, do it right. They've never done right by him. I don't know what the, the historical right's going to be. Uh, you can't retire his number, but damn it, they got to do something to, to to thank him for the service he provided. He played hurt, and he didn't have to. Uh, he played with a, a personal uh, sadness of, of a of a uh, what his sister was it or a mother a family a close family member perished in, in the middle of all this and. And, and he was a, wow, man, what a tough little guy. I loved watching him play. Uh, yet I applauded the trade because Kyrie was such a talent, you know, so incredibly talented. And I I mistakenly thought Tyree would come here and, and, and it all would work out. Well, it didn't work out. 
and and it didn't work out uh, in the next stop. And guess what, Nets? It's not going to work out for you either. And and here's my take on on Kyrie. Three things. One, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Two, he's searching for something in life and he doesn't know what it is. Hmm. And three, he this will not be his final stop. And everywhere he goes, when people leave, they will they are saying and will say, we couldn't figure that guy out. His talent is unquestioned. He goes to the basket at his size and finishes as well as any man ever has, ever. He made the single biggest, most famous one shot in the, in, in the NBA Finals in the decade. Okay, brought him a championship. And he's not afraid to take the big shot. But you can't live with this guy. And look, already he's causing trouble. We don't need a coach. I could coach. Oh, good, Steve. Good luck to you. I, he's incorrigible. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't have to apologize. Uh, he's quite talented, but sometimes we see people that read their own scouting reports and then they believe uh, all the positives. Uh, I would love to break down some more players, but uh, a couple more questions, then we'll let you go. Thanks again so much for your time. It's so generous. I love basketball. Now, I'm 5'9", so I love the three-point shot because it was kind of the great equalizer for me. But man, those Celtics teams Kevin McHale had so many moves Larry could step back Parrish he was what has happened to not just the NBA but you're seeing even here in Vermont younger levels fifth and sixth graders throwing up threes that when they go in yes it can be fun but that inside out that fluidity am I just that old guy yelling get off my lawn no you're part of a movement you're part of a movement and it's a minority movement but it's the right movement uh, it, the three-point shot is the worst thing to happen to basketball in my lifetime. It has completely distorted the game. And you rightly point out the absolute worst thing about it is this fact that five, that eight, nine, ten-year-olds are jacking up threes and being encouraged to do so. Um, I'm, all I want in the game is balance. There's no reason why we can't have good inside players and outside players. The game has been going over, going completely over to the what I call the three-point mania. Uh, Daryl Morey, thank you very much. You know, he, by the way, just quit his job. And uh, yeah. in, in Houston, but as much as any individual, he with the analytics that he came up with uh, to encourage people to or discourage people from taking, and uh, the phrase that drives me crazy: the worst thing in shot in basketball is the long two. God, I hate hearing that. Um, we have circumstances where we have teams taking uh, like the Rockets that, that that take forty-five a night. That, that's what they average this year. They took forty-five a night. Uh, we had a circumstance where the Rockets ended one playoff series missing their last twenty-seven threes in a game. Um, we had a circumstance where the the uh, Warriors missed out on winning a championship because in the last four minutes of a game they refused to acknowledge that a two-point might save stop the bleeding and help them win the game. They never thought about doing that and they just started cranking up threes. It's distorted the game immensely and completely. It's terrible. It's horrible. And, and uh, yeah, I miss seeing a good the footwork of a Kevin McHale. There's guys that could do it right now. Joel Embiid can play down low. Carl Anthony Towns can play down low. Uh, of course, Djokovic can do anything he wants. And, and, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the game. And I don't see it going back. You know, uh, People aren't, aren't willing to take that chance. But you bring up the 86 Celtics. Um, if they were transplanted back in time or uh, forward in time to now uh, – you're right. Bird was a, one of the great three-point shooters of his time. And and and, and if encouraged to take 15 a night instead of four, he would have been happily would have done it. Uh, Danny led the league in field goal percentage uh, one year. You know he could make them. Uh, Wedman was a three-point shooter. 
Dennis Johnson could make it and encouraged to work harder on it, he would have been better. They could have fit into it if they had to. Plus, who's going to stop that low point, low post game? So right. with Bird, McHale, and Parrish. But I, you're so right. And don't give up. the. Don't stop carrying the torch. Don't stop preaching. Don't give in. Damn it. <laughs> hey, Bob. So going from a little bit more regional to uh, national, international, being on ESPN around the horn, have you enjoyed that or – did you kind of like that anonymity where now you go places and everybody knows who you are? Oh no, it played to the ham in me. Uh, it was a, it was wonderful. And and it actually was a benefit to my writing career. And I'll give you a quick anecdote. The first time I really, I mean, I realized the power of television. I I realized that if you're on television at two in the morning and I was once, cause I was on with Charlie Rose when he did the overnight show a couple of times on CBS years before years ago. And, and you, people would see it. You'd walk up around the next day or two and people would say, I saw you on Charlie Rose. What? It was two in the morning. Well, okay. Now, um, in 1991 at the ALCS between the uh, Blue Jays and the Twins, I was on an off day and I was walking in the corridor between the locker room and the dugout and a player came up to me and he introduced himself. He said, I'm Gene Larkin of the Twins and I just, I see you on TV. And that was, that was uh, a, a, a sports reporters from Sunday morning. And that's the man bites dog moment of my career. Well, guess what? That's the Gene Larkin who in the famous Jack Morris game, the 10 inning complete mm -hmm. game, drove in the winning run. But that's when, I, that's when it started, that you could go into a locker rooms at times and they would recognize you before you could introduce yourself. And that helps your entree. Yeah. Uh, there were, players were impressed you on TV. That mattered to, them, mattered to them more than the fact that you were a writer. But as far as the ham factor, I'll say this. The most fun I ever had in television was PTI filling in for Tony and or Mike and did it for 15 years. And the difference is there's five people competing for airtime on around the horn and two people competing for airtime on PTI. Which one do you think is more fun? <laughs> oh, for sure. Hey, a couple quick questions and then a semi-serious one at the end. And the first is what was a bad Celtics team that you really enjoyed that their record was not good. They did not win a championship, maybe miss a playoffs, but mm -hmm. what one team that you just well, really enjoyed being around. That would be my first one in 69, 70. They were 34 and 48. It was the first year after Bill Russell and Sam Jones retired. Tom Heitzer was a rookie coach feeling his way along. And I, everything was new and wonderful to me. And, and the fact, whether they won 15, 20, 30, 40, uh, they didn't. One thing they didn't do, they were 34 and 48, but and they didn't make the playoffs. But that's the year the Knicks won everything. They beat the Knicks in the regular series season, four, four to three. And that was fun. Some of those games were very, very a great deal of fun. But that was my educational year. Uh, I thought you were where you were going to go because I'll give you the flip side. There was one Celtic team I covered that was highly educational in a negative sense, and 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 by far the worst experience in terms of uh, of all the things that happened. And that was a, six, a 78 79 team, the year before Bird came. But that team had. I used to say there were three factions on that team: the Blacks, the Whites, and Cheney. Uh, mm. it, it was the first time I ever encountered a team where there was a little bit of racial tension between the black players and the white players, uh, where there were uh, off the court incidents that were not very good, where there was a player who was a druggie, uh, that I knew, um, it wasn't that much fun that year. And, uh, uh, but, but, uh, but as far as a year that where the team wasn't all that great, but I could enjoy it was certainly that first team. Now, who is the biggest, I think I could say, goon or rival that you did not like? And let me go first. I did not like Bill Lambeer at all. And if there was any player the Celtics were playing against that I did not uh, was not fond of, it would have been Bill Lambeer. Well, in my writing career, uh, you know, in my beat, beat man career, uh, there's no question it was Elvin Hayes. 
Hmm. And, and, and that was, and that was a problem for me. Uh, I thought he was a big phony, uh, a hypocrite personal. I thought he was, a, uh, I, I call him Elvin, the chicken hearted. I still think that the only reason the bullets won that one cherished championship 41, 42 years ago was Elvin fouled out of game seven. And if he hadn't stayed, if he had stayed in there, they would have found a way to screw him up. But he fouled out and, and Mitch Kupchak replaced him and made the biggest play of the game going for a loose ball and, and, and a scramble and saving the game for them. Anyway, Elvin Hayes right now, and in my non-writing and my post-writing career and my uh, pundit career, uh, by far, it's Dwight Howard. And and uh, uh, it pains me that he's now got a ring. But also gratifying that in game seven, when they were putting it away, he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. That's good. Hey, the Boston Celtics now, I think they're a lot of fun to watch. I think they're missing a piece. But, man, I really felt like they had a chance to make it to the championship in the bubble with – Jalen Brown playing so well, as well as, of course, Tatum and Smart, all the guys. But uh, what do you think the future is? Are they just going to always be a piece short, or is it just maturity and getting more experience together? Throughout this nice little run, uh, they lack one thing that, um, I mean, not oh, not just one, but two, but one in particular that, that I wish had been addressed in, at, at the uh, this year's All-Star break, Danny, and I love Danny, but, you know, is – a guy off the bench who can shoot an instant scoring guy, a guy who, when he fills out his income tax return under occupation, puts down registered jump shooter. They need a guy like that. If you can't get Lou Williams, the closest thing to Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford was sitting out there. I know he's 40, but by all accounts, he could still make the, he can still shoot, but that's the kind of guy uh, they need to help them. Their bench scoring was very, very inadequate. As you well know, the other thing um, I wish they could get Aaron Baines back. They don't have to have a great player in the middle, but they need a big body. He, he, he would fill the bill again. He can make a three, he can, and he does the job on defense they need. Uh, they might survive without that if Robert Williams materializes the way they think he can, but they still got to go out and find that shooter. I hope they draft in that uh, 14th pick, the best, or whatever the pick is, the best shooter. That, that was this year, it was 14, back in the 20s this year. Yeah. But they got four picks, and I hope somewhere in there they – I know they thought it was Carson Edwards. And when he made those eight threes in that exhibition game, I was kind of hoping it was Carson Edwards too. But unfortunately it turned out to be not, not to be Carson Edwards. Although he's still around, you know, maybe it will be Carson Edwards, but um, you know, that's who they need. A guy like that, the guy that can make those baskets. And Bob, the last question for you again, Bob Ryan, it's uh, at globe Bob Ryan on Twitter during a pandemic an election year, social injustice, craziness all around, you have me by a lot on the majority scale and a little on the years of age scale. What would you be telling us younger guys about learning from this year of our history? Uh, wow. Um, that's a, what, what about learning from this year? Well, I've learned a little bit about patience, I guess. And, you know, that it's hard that we're all hitting a wall now. And you see people are uh, they're calling it now uh, uh, fatigue. COVID fatigue, people were letting their guard down. Uh, we need to stay see this through. Uh, we have to. Um, uh, we got to have that kind of patience and belief. I guess you got to have a positive attitude. It's hard to have one, but that that we're going to get through it. That the the medical people are going to come through for us. Uh, and but the what the summits. I guess that's all. Uh, that, that we got to have to have that and faith in in humanity. That uh, it's hard to have sometimes. And because I don't want to go too far down this, but what worries me, I'm going to urge people take the vaccine, please. Yeah. When it comes, uh, you know, that that's that that's that's a troubling concept that there were so many people out there who are on record as saying they're not going to take the vaccine. 
Sure. Bob, thank you so much for making the time. Certainly a pleasure, a delight. I could definitely break down probably every single Boston Celtics player there ever has been, but uh, we don't have the time. But you've been I'm so not going good. anywhere. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this. I love Dana Barrows when uh, he for the Celtics. Why do you think he just he was fun like it was it was bad basketball, but sometimes he was just fun to watch. Did you find enjoyment from his game at all? I'm proprietary. I saw him in high school. I went to see him. I heard about him and I was, I was still writing and I wanted to go see this phenomenon from Severian. I went down to see him play at Don Bosco and he had 55. Uh, so I kind of got on the bandwagon kind of early. He's a tremendous athlete, by the way. You know, he was recruited as a wide receiver also and yeah. by, by prominent East, you know, schools. And, and he chose basketball rightly. And he's, he's the most greatest achieving BC basketball player. And, um, you know, as a professional, well, Michael Adams is close too. And, uh, but, and, and a good person. I, I love having him on the team. I like rooting for him. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. He did a podcast for me along the way. I loved him. Um, and I, no, I, I had no problem. No, I, I, I didn't think anything that I was in, for me, there was no negative. And the teams he played on weren't that good, so he was a he was a breath of fresh air. He could at least he could put the ball in the basket. <laughs> uh, so true. Hey Bob, thanks so much for making the time, and uh, we keep following you on Twitter and just love yeah, you. Just love all you do. So uh, thanks again. Okay, bye bye. And again, that's Bob Ryan makes up time. You are listening to Jay Fuller interviews on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, the Backfire Podcast now on Google Podcasts and iTunes. We thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. And listen to someone's stories because it will make your story much better.